Kevin Markwick.
I think I can remember what all the buttons are for. I didn't remember that time, did I? It's Kevin Marquick back again for another um, another two hours of the old and greedy. That was Jim Jones' review, Where Do Money Go? That's uh, kicking us off. Thanks to Adrian Corbin for the last uh, two hours of soul grooviness. So here we go then, the difficult series two... Lots and lots tonight. Actually, we've got a few new things for you. Got music from the Smoke Fairies, Stornaway, Goat, uh, the Flaming Lips, David Sylvian, amongst many others. And we got film fun as well, of course. Uh, Mikael Danner and Lalo Schifrin. Cheney Kent is back uh, again, this time to talk us through uh, Richard Rodney Bennett. One of Britain's best film composers. And I'm going to have a go at a kind of time tunnel, hot tub time thing. Which may or may not work. What were we showing in the past at my cinema? Because I've got all the old books, you see. I'll fill you in on that more later. So, uh, here's Sleepwalker.
was a good start, wasn't it? What I meant to say was, here's Moon Duo. And the track's called Sleepwalker. Actually, rather groovy. And one of the best albums of the year, I would say. Oh, one of the best albums of last year. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so the other thing I meant to say to you was please get in touch. Um, studio at f, uh, uckfieldfm.co.uk uh, or you can text me 800 start the text Uckfield, although I'm not entirely sure where I'd find that. I think it comes to the uh, email inbox. but um, Or you can hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Markwick. Let me know what you think. It really would be good to hear from you. Um, you know, get a bit of company on the first of this new journey into into thingdom. Anyway, um, so yes, what have we got next? Oh, uh, I think probably it's better that we get the Tom Waits out of the way early, don't you? sweet from Alice Tom Waits no one knows I'm gone now what I've also done over the last uh, few months is trawled uh, the interwebs and all sorts of things and the old archives uh, to find you some new jingles because uh, you know the old um, sales ads because those last ones were, oh, they were great but uh, getting a bit repetitive so I found you some new ones uh, which is great because it's sell you stuff time now new banana chop Sunday. Banana chocolate sundae. We banana fruit ice. Cherry ice cream. Covered with chocolate and hazelnuts. What a feast on a stick. Mmm, mmm. Banana chocolate sundae with nuts. Kevin Markwick. Power to bring 
loses heat Blast from the high rises flicker on I see you coming but you're already gone Let me know. Uh, the Smoke Fairies, uh, which remains quite nice. Um, yeah, I like that one. So, uh, last uh, last year, you may remember, last year, God, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Um, we played a fair amount of Stornaway, actually, and I mentioned that it's a while since they've had an album, and it's about time they got their fingers out. Well, turns out they have. Um, they got a new single uh, coming out, or well, in fact, it's just come out, and a new album in March called Tales from Terra Firma. This is the first single from that album. It's called Knock Me on the Head.
What do you think? I'm not sure. It's okay. I just only about the third time I've heard it, but it isn't growing on me particularly. I don't think it's as strong as the stuff from the um uh what's the last album called? (laughs) Do you know what? I turned fifty and it's just getting worse. So it was called the anyway, the last album was immediately strong as soon as you heard it. But this one uh, maybe it'll grow on me, I don't know. I hope so. So uh, one of the albums that actually made pretty much all the groovy publications uh, top 20 albums of the year was Goat. Uh, and here's Goatman, which is fantastic. There is a Crayole expression to walk together. Where life is hard, people depend upon and help each other. So that man may pray together to praise the same moral principles and together reaffirm them.
from Goat. Uh, great stuff. Right, time now to segue seamlessly into the film part of the show. And we're going to start actually with some uh, Mikhail Danner music from The Life of Pi, which has been an enormous success this Christmas, taking everybody a bit by surprise. I think we all expected it to do quite well, but uh, audiences have responded to it, and they've been turning out in very, very large numbers, which uh, has taken, like I say, taken a lot of people by surprise. It's a fine, fine film, beautiful, beautiful to look at. I'm not sure the message, uh, certainly in the last five minutes, is... uh, is great i think it kind of fudges it right there and i i felt a bit irritated but uh, it's definitely worth a look and the score is if uh, it's kind of the same really it's beautiful and uh, maybe a wee bit syrupy but it's um it's lovely pie's lullaby <laughs> after this. Good 
very nice um kind of sums the film up really it's a it's a pleasant experience overall um i thought it's very witty the way they got the french uh, thing in there because he grew up in the french quarter of uh, uh where he grew up <laughs> there you go kev making it up as you go along again um which isn't good for anybody is it it's not good for everybody listening but if you've seen it let me know what you think uh, it was kind of uh, it's what happens with a lot of films now it's kind of oh great 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 oh, which is how I felt about it um, so uh, yeah let me know what you think that'd be great uh, now there was something else I was going to say to you and I can't remember what it was oh dear it's not going well is it so now is the time for Chaney Kent to come back and he's going to tell us about the wonderful Richard Rodney Bennett uh, I play a bit of jingly before that but uh, settle back and enjoy this, because this is great. Hello, and Happy New Year. Now that the sky's well and truly fallen in on the most recent Bond film, Kevin has asked me to come back with some of my own ideas. I'm planning to share some terrific film music over the next few weeks, but to begin with, I thought I'd look back at the work of the composer Richard Rodney Bennett, who died right at the end of last year. Richard Rodney Bennett is not the most immediate name that one thinks of in film music. He wrote many film scores, but never limited himself to the silver screen, also writing and performing music for the Classical Concert Hall and the Jazz Club. Yet, in a career of some 50 years, Richard Rodney Bennett was nominated three times for an Academy Award and won a BAFTA for one of those nominated scores, Murder on the Orient Express. A cultured student of music, it's no surprise that his opening titles to Murder on the Orient Express pass through as many styles as the famous train might pass through cities. A Russian piano concerto relaxes into the drum kit brushes of a club hot lounge straight from the south of France. Then the swollen string gloss of Mantovani moves over for a piano finale straight from Gershman's Rhapsody in Blue. It's all the glamour of this cosmopolitan movie in an eclectic two minutes.
Prior to this BAFTA, Richard Rodney Bennett's work at the beginning of his career had also been recognised. The British new wave of the early 60s brought a new sophistication to the realism of its kitchen sink dramas and could only benefit from a composer moving between domestic and international sound worlds. John Schlesinger's Far From the Madding Crowd, an English pastoral vehicle for three of this country's brightest stars, Julie Christie, Alan Bates and Terence Stamp brought Richard Rodney Bennett to write his first Oscar-nominated score in 1967. But it's the earlier collaboration with the director, Billy Lyre, about a lad who creates alternative realities to escape his humdrum life that allow Rodney Bennett to try other musical styles. This jazz cue is just right for the modern beauty Julie Christie arriving in town. Perhaps the romance of a British soundtrack is more readily associated with Richard Rodney Bennett's contemporary, John Barry. Still, arguably Rodney Bennett's most recognisable score came almost 30 years after Far From the Madding Crowd when he wrote the music for Four Weddings and a Funeral. Like another contemporary, Michel Legrand, this is music with a strong theme, invariably played on the piano and with modest orchestration. It's sweet music, and of course reflects Charles's proposal that he and Carrie avoid all the circus of marriage and simply agree to be in love. Goodbye.
But after we've dried off, after we've spent lots more time together, you might agree not to marry me. And do you think not being married to me might maybe be something you could consider doing for the rest of your life? Do you? I do. McDowell. She could act, couldn't she? <laughs> she was great. Acted Huge Grant off the screen. Or knocked him off, like, because she's a big plank. Um, that was great, Cheney. Thank you very, very much. Wonderful. Uh, Richard Rodney Bennett. Um, probably, uh, has he been a bit forgotten? Or not, not overlooked? Overlooked is a much better word. Um, by film score aficionados. Um, I remember actually the murder on the Orient express made a huge impression on me as a kid the music i was about 11 when i saw it the first time when it came out and i remember the score that's the one thing i remembered most about it was that that lovely music particularly when the train comes you know charging out of that or, or lumbering out of that engine shit um for an 11 year old the film was a bit of a drag you know boring agatha christie stuff but the music actually made quite an impression on me so uh, thanks cheney next week don't know what he's going to do, but I bet it'll be something interesting. Uh, right, what am I going to do now? Oh, I tell you, I'm going to play you some music. It's the actually the opening credit music from the new Tarantino picture, Django Unchained. Now, it's, it, although it is the opening credit music from Django Unchained, mainly it's actually <laughs> the opening credit music from Django, because this is what Tarantino does. He takes what everyone else has done and somehow makes it just a little bit cooler. Um, and this is released on the 18th and I've seen it and it is it is remarkable it's kind of bonkers in the way that um, Inglorious Bastards was, was, was bonkers so uh, have a listen this, is, this was actually written in 1966 for the original Django which was Franco Nero who actually appears in Django Unchained and uh, it's great have a listen <laughs>
Django Unchained stroke the 1966 Django as used in the new Tarantino Western. If you like a bit of Western action and you don't mind too much violence, uh, then get along because it's just insane. And the score, well, it, it, I mean, he, he gets bits of music from everywhere. There's even rap music in it. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson's performance is something to behold. It really, really is. Uh, okay, so um, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to sell you things. That's what I'm going to do. It's new! Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Liars make ice pole. Tops up ice pole. Squeeze up ice pole. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Taste it. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Fresh, cool ice pole. Orange flavor, strawberry flavor. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Buy ice pole. Perfect. Get an ice pole now. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Kevin Markway. Now, we lost Jerry Anderson at the end of last year, which was uh, a real shame because he made some truly great television. Um, and anybody of a certain age, in fact, even my kids loved Thunderbirds and Joe 90 and all of that stuff. So we thought, I just thought I'd have a little tribute and I'd start off with my tongue firmly in my cheek. Here's Frank Sidebottom. And she's a space I wish I was a space bird, the fastest guy alive. Cause I would fly around the universe in fireball like silver. My heart among the flowers, and my head up in the sky. I'm 
wonderful is that? Frank Sidebottom, Fireball XL5, one of the early um, Jerry Anderson shows. And then, of course, he moved. He did do some movies. And Thunderbirds Are Go and Thunderbirds 6 were the two Thunderbird ones. I think they were the only two he made. I think, oh, uh, yeah, I think they were. And Thunderbird 6 had a huge impact on me as a kid. I loved that one. And actually, the score that Barry Gray did was great. And the uh, recording of the theme tune was rather wonderful. Barry Gray's theme from Thunderbirds Are Go. If I remember rightly, it was the um, Royal Marine Brass Band or Marching Band uh, that played that, and they had them on the end credits, <laughs> marching up and down a square, which was great. Now, I'm going to play you something even more scary, because in that film, Thunderbirds Are Go, was one of the scariest things you will ever see in your life, was a uh, Jerry Anderson puppet, uh, puppets of Cliff Richard and the Shadows. Now... That, just just enjoy this because this is the one and only time you will ever get me to play Cliff Richard on the radio but you have to hear this, it's bonkers and now ladies and gentlemen we present the biggest star in the universe none other than Cliff Richard Jr <laughs> Thank you. 
Believe me, the news will be a blessed relief. Sometimes I feel you are cheating me Then you kiss me and my mind is free But then I think I should let you know that I got friends So baby, listen to me A shooting star will shoot you And Mars will go to war The man in the moon will jump on you If you don't love me, no more I saw you in someone else's car You told me Not long now He won't go too far
Schifrin, Lalo Schifrin, let's call the whole thing off. His score for Bullet, uh, kind of the epitome of 60s cool with Steve McQueen, PTH directed uh, back then. And uh, yeah, it holds up, really holds up actually. Now, <laughs> here goes nothing. This is, my, uh, this is my new time machine feature. Why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension? You see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. You maniac! You blew it up! God damn you! God damn you all some kind of hot tub time machine yes indeed a hot tub time machine a delorean whatever you want to call it um what i'm going to do is uh, well this is less me banging on about films although actually it is me banging on about films uh, you should see and more me banging on about films people actually did see in the olden days um uh, well 1973 and 19 83 in this case uh, I'm just thinking one that's making a noise no, stop it. Right. okay 73 and 83 in this case uh, what I have is all the old records and details of the films that played in Uckfield as far back as 1964 when my family took over so I brought the old ledgers along uh, well I didn't actually bring them along because I forgot but I will next week and I'll wave them at the webcam just so that you believe me and we're going to get in our DeLorean our hot tub uh, I'm going to put my speedos on <laughs> oh yes I am or whatever and take a trip back to see what films the people of Uckfield had to choose from from the corresponding week in days gone by. Uh, like they're doing on BBC Four with Top of the Pops. Sort of. No, nothing like that really. But it's interesting, it's fascinating. I can sit and look at these old uh, old ledgers for, for hours. Some of the films you will certainly never have heard of, so I'll try and pick the ones that you have. Um, so, at the Picture House in Uckfield on the week of February the 7th 1973 was um, okay actually before I tell you here's a bit of background Uh, at this time there was only one screen 
Yes, children, in the olden days, a whole cinema would only have had one screen. Mm, difficult to imagine, isn't it? Anyway, at that time, we had one 310-seat cinema and films played for, well, seven days at the most, although even in 73, we were only just getting into seven-day bookings. It was mostly split weeks, you know, Sunday, two, Tuesday, five. When we first arrived, it was three-day change, so you'd have, uh, you know, six, three... Well, films would change every three days. Uh, None of this eight to ten weeks malarkey that you get now... Um, Holdovers, as we professionals call them, were unheard of. Uh, you booked a film for a certain number of days, and that was it. So, uh, I mean, you bring them back if they were good. That's kind of what happened. Instead of holding over to next week, you just put it back in again in three or four weeks' time. Because one of the things you had, of course, were monthly programmes. But that's a whole other story. Um, so, on one screen during the week of January the 7th, 1973, the week was split. Sunday for two days was the violent World War II action-adventure The Dirty Dozen, and Tuesday for five days, a double feature of the James Bond film You Only Live Twice and the classic western The Magnificent Seven. Hmm. Now, the alert amongst you will have noticed that even in 1973, none of these films were in their first flush of youth. In fact, The Magnificent Seven came out in 1960. Yeah, it's older, it's older than me. Uh, so it was already 13 years old at that point, which is extraordinary. To give you an idea what that means, it's like us uh, just now getting around to showing or doing a whole week, a double feature of uh, Gladiator and Aaron Brockovich. There we are, which you can probably pick up for 99p in the bargain bin at Tesco's. Uh, oh, you almost certainly can. I mean, they're long, long gone. They're on ITV10, I think, every night now. Um, so no DVD or films on TV as much. That's why. So you could keep bringing films back. And actually, they, they you know, those films were part of... Uh, still part of the main programme. It wasn't a, a repertory thing where we were bringing these films back because people liked to see old films. They were still... They still felt current. People still wanted to see them. So when there was a gap in the releases, you stick in an old faithful. And this was clearly one of those weeks. Major Reisman, you are ordered by Allied Command to select 12 general prisoners convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder, rape, robbery, and other crimes of violence. And you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in France to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war. The 12 men will be known as the Dirty Dozen. Lee Marvin as Major John Reisman. There's a little of Major Reisman in every man, says Marvin. Tough and unyielding, yet compassionate. I think it's the best role I've ever been asked to play. You've all volunteered for a mission which gives you just three ways to go. Either you can file up in training and be shipped back here for immediate execution of sentence, or you can file up in combat, in which case I will personally blow your brains out, or you can do as you're told, in which case you might just get by. Now you hold it right there. This war was not started for your private gratification, and you can be damn sure that this army isn't being run for your personal convenience either. Ernest Borgnine as General Warden. I'm tired of seeing generals portrayed as desk-bound pen pushers, says Borgnine. So I've played Warden as a rough professional soldier. Robert Ryan as Colonel Everett Dasher Breed. There were officers like Breed, says Ryan who could never suffer the rules broken or even bend a little. Major Reisman's compliments, sir. Tell him 
pilots. Uh, prefer to be captured or destroyed. Jimmy Brown as Napoleon Jefferson. Jefferson is any man fighting for recognition against the odds, says Brown. I think I understand him pretty well. So, Dirty Dozen was uh, was actually six years old in 1973, having been released in 1967. Uh, when it was new, it was a big picture for MGM. And the only reason it didn't have a second feature with it, because uh, we pretty much played second features all the time uh, then with the main film, uh, it was because it was a mighty 150 minutes long. Uh, I seem to remember there was an interval in it. I might be wrong. I think there was. Uh, the other unusual thing about it was uh, the ex certificate which for a, a sort of action picture like that at the time is very unusual um, and the equivalent it's actually the equivalent of today's 18 it was a solid if silly piece of entertainment directed by Robert Aldrich one of Hollywood's most workmanlike directors who who mostly made westerns and war movies although somewhat incongruously he did direct The Killing of Sister George the year after he made The Dirty Dozen which was a, a, a British film great British film anyway it was it was a film that kept turning up when I was a kid and, and we were still playing it well into the 70s I don't think I I never actually shown it myself but it was uh, it was still hanging around like a bad smell for quite some time and over the two days we had 319 people through the door although uh, 265 of those were on sunday sunday was always a big day in those days and the gross was 116 pounds and 70p that makes the average price of a ticket 36 pence Yes, those were the days. And then on Tuesday to Saturday uh, was You Only Live Twice and The Magnificent Seven. Uh, you also have to remember that in those days, films changed on a Sunday, not on a Friday as they do now. So the first day of the week was a Sunday. Sunday, uh, Monday, Dirty Dozen. Tuesday to Saturday, You Only Live Twice and The Magnificent Seven, which meant, oh, all sorts of problems if the film didn't turn up on a Sunday morning, having been at another cinema the night before. Trying to get hold of anyone on a Sunday in the, in the, in the olden days was pointless. Uh, anyway, the, uh, this program actually was an average length for a double feature, about four hours. Adding the adverts and trailers and a show starting at 7 would come down at about 11.15 in the evening and all for 36p. Hmm. Not bad business at all, considering how old these films were. We had 1,044 admissions in the five days, grossing £338. Very strong indeed. Now, You Only Live Twice has been well covered on this show. Um, and uh, I think we did Magnificent Seven in our double feature feature uh, earlier, or the back end of last year. But it is, let's face it, always time for El Elmer Bernstein's amazing score from The Magnificent Seven. <laughs>
Leonard Bernstein's amazing Scott, Scott Leonard Bernstein Alma Bernstein were they related I don't think they were Leonard, Elmer, whatever. Anyway, um, it was Elmer Bernstein. Sorry, Elmer, if you're listening, which you aren't, because you're probably dead. Uh, his uh, amazing score for The Magnificent Seven, made in 1960 and still showing at the Picture House in Upfield in, 19, in uh, February 1973. Now, uh, we're going to take a bit of a break and then we're gonna, I'm going to put my time, time pants on again and we're going to move forward a decade to 1983. <laughs> Stand by for launching. It's Zoom with three new flavors and free picture cards. Start collecting famous aircraft. There's a free card with every Zoom on sale now. Kevin Markwick, 105 Uckfield FM. Okay, the uh, time speedos are a little tight. Oh. But uh, we're going to go forward. Thanks for all the uh, all the comments online. Everybody seems to be enjoying this one. Uh, Laura and Darren and Christine. Uh, no, they don't make them like that anymore. Sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it isn't. Uh, so here we go then. We're off to 1983. Uh, now, the, ooh, blimey, this is quite a different world we've landed in. Uh, what a difference a short 10 years can make. Now uh, we have two screens. Uh, having split the cinema in 1977, giving the good people of Uckfield even more choice, because we're good like that. Uh, for a variety of long and complicated reasons that I will tell you about one day, because it's interesting if you're into that sort of thing, uh, Uckfield was no longer relying on older films. Oh, no. No, no. Now we were pretty bang up to date. So, on February the 7th, 1983, bear in mind we had uh, two screens, in screen one we were playing the British comedy musical Privates on Parade. The year is 1948. The place, Singapore. Just a few miles up country, battle-weary British troops are fighting back a bitter onslaught from communist terrorists. But help is at hand. A crack specialist unit prepares for action. So they gave me command of a unique operation covering the, the whole of Southeast Asia. Covering it with what? I'll tell you, Henry. Song and... Major dear! This is too much. A whole squad of your gallant lads are doing physical jerks or something on the barrack square right next to the theatre. My dear, the din. During the next two weeks, I'll be putting you through a refresher course in basic training. Pick it up, Erica. Unarmed combat. Gamble tactics. Slope. Oh! Major, there's nothing in my contract about defending myself. I signed on for Sun and Fun. Come see the private on parade. You'll say how proudly they display. And when we hear the music of the military band, you'll be amazed how smartly we can take a stand. Ooh. They may not be the SAS, but when it comes to close quarters in the jungle, these men can certainly hold their own. Rather a nice uh, touch, that, using Bob Danvers' walker to voice the trailer, uh, being as he was the voice of wartime news for Pathé. The film was not bad at all. It wasn't wholly successful, but it was definitely worth seeing for Dennis Quilly's camp 
Captain Dennis, who uh, gives everybody girls. It's, uh, yeah, that was great. Uh, he's actually currently being played in the West End by Simon Russell Beale, uh, as they've just just revived it. Uh, now, um, Privates on Parade was a handmade film the company set up by George Harrison and Dennis O'Brien to bail out Monty Python's Life of Brian in 1979. They were going great guns, making sweet, low-budget comedies like The Missionary or Private Function, which was uh, quite good fun, the Alan Bennett... Uh, thing or solid Brit dramas such as Mona Lisa or The Long Good Friday but like most British production companies from that period it seems the whole thing went to their heads and they thought they could compete with Hollywood and rule the world uh, the massive and expensive turkey Shanghai surprise in 1986 with Madonna and Sean Penn pretty much finished them off um, and outfield audiences didn't didn't respond to privates at all actually 311 people all week for that one that's what we call in the trade a deather anyway on screen two however they were having a lot more fun. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival the search, the desertion, the fear, the discovery. Seems we're going to witness pretty much everything. Um, E.T. was one of our first real long runners and it was now in its eighth and final weekend, unheard of uh, at the time for us. It was a real watershed. Um, we kind of understood that you could run a big film over and over and over and over again consecutively. And looking at the admissions, I'm surprised it came off, actually. 865 admissions over the weekend, which is great for an eighth week. I can only surmise it came off a of Fox and the Hound at half term the following week, which uh, in 19... What were we talking about? Yeah, 83, that was a reissue. Hmm. Not sure why he did that one. Uh, I can't remember because I was a callow 20 year, 20 year old. I know that I, I showed it so many times, E.T., in the days when getting out of the projection box was rare that I, I honestly never, never need to see it again. Um, and then, oddly, there was a three-day booking tacked onto the end of that week. Alan Parker's film version of The Wall, which was about a year old, um, certainly didn't play when it came out. I think I may have suggested it, actually, because I wanted to see it. Anyway, it did okay. There was 150 admissions in three three shows. So, uh, just... I, I as an excuse, really, more than anything. Here is the sublime, comfortably numb. Call me an old mullet-wearing 80s reject, if you like, but I still love it. Uh, we're going to do more time travel nonsense next week, and hopefully I'll even get the timing right, so unless the letters of complaint are overwhelming. Here's uh, Pink Floyd.
mindful of not talking over the guitar solo I think he's finished yes he has uh, I played that because that's what we were playing in 1983 Pink Floyd The Wall Alan Parker's film which was mostly okay I mean I loved the album at the time so you know I, I kind of enjoyed it hearing um, what's his face Boomtown Rats guy singing a couple of the songs was a bit odd but uh, overall it was good and I always regretted that I didn't go to Earl's Court and see the original shows that Pink Floyd put on I was, I was even living in London at the time and I didn't go so it was great I was able to take my son along to see um, Roger Waters do it at the O2 last year or maybe even the year before now but um, not quite the same thing but uh, wonderful nevertheless so 
there you go. That was the time travel thing, which overran horribly. So I'm going to have to uh, uh, motor along with the music. And I think you might like this one. I don't know. I love it. It's uh, Joanna Newsom. Not everyone's cup of tea, I know. But this is much more accessible uh, than the previous track I played. Uh, and this is called Jack Rabbits. I was tired of being drunk. My face cracked like a joke. So I swung through here like a brace of jackrabbits with their necks all broke. I stumbled at the door with my boot and I knocked against the jam. And I scrabbled at your chest like a mute with my fists of ham. Trying to Love you again, love you again, love 
Joanna Newsom from her 2010 album Have One On Me which is rather beautiful I think so uh, running rapidly out of time uh, I always meant to play you this one and I finally got around to it it's the low anthem Charlie Darwin
Thermex Orange Flamenco. Lemon and Lime Cascade. Orange, lemon and lime from Kiora for a cool one of six. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. 
Do you realise the flaming lips? Um, now, the thing is, uh, it's nearly over, actually, which is a shame. I was just getting into it then. Um, so what I'd like you to do, if you can, is uh, get in touch over the next week. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Markwick, uh, or you can email us here at studio at uckfieldfm.co.uk. Really like to hear what you think about what's going on and all the utter nonsense uh, online. Uh, Phil and Darren and Mike seem to be enjoying the show, and Christine, which is great. Um, so, yes, please, because, you know... It's it something. Now, what are we going to finish with? Oh, I know. I, I don't know if they're still awake in Newark, but um, or if they're even listening. But this one's for them. It's it's David Sylvian, Red Guitar.
haven't heard that in ages and somebody played it and I just it just brought a lot of stuff back so I thought I'd give it a give it a spin as they say in DJ land um I don't do you think it holds up because I remember it or do you think it does hold up I think it does. Uh, David Sylvian, red guitar, from his solo album, Brilliant Trees, in 1984, which uh, I believe was his first uh, first solo album. Yes, someone will put me right, I expect. OK, that's pretty much it, bar the shouting. Um, thank you very, very much for joining me. It does mean an awful, awful lot. And uh, it's nice to have had some interaction tonight. That's fantastic as well. Thank you again to Cheney Kent, whose uh, contribution is invaluable to the show and hopefully um, I'll see you all next week now I'm going to finish off with something a little odd Uh, it struck me that um, we don't really or I haven't uh, made much of an effort to play any um, world music on this uh, on this particular show so uh, I went back and I know maybe we've done a couple Mm, I don't know I forget (laughs) which is my excuse for everything now. It's either that, I either forget or I'm left-handed. They're, they're my two excuses for everything, which is why uh, I don't do the ironing, because I'm left-handed, which doesn't go down that well at home, I have to say. But um, I think after 25 years of marriage, maybe there she's given up trying to convince me. Um, but I digress. World music. So I'm going to play you uh, The New Adventures of Soldier Tufiev, which is by uh, Yuri Gers and the uh, Russian disco in... They're actually a Ukrainian uh, bunch of people based in Berlin. Uh, and it's rather wonderful. It's called, uh, yeah, The New Adventures of uh, Soldier Tufiev. And I'll see you all next week. Bye! Жить в Рязани, всюду грязь, говно и пыль Милый, сделай обрезание и поедем в Израиль За колицей гармонь, бревнышки ухаты Эх, достала мать Россия, улетаем в Штаты Вдруг коснулся в Мичигане Вот такой рассеянный муж Сары Моисеевны
Россия, француз.